Now, as we transition to our teaching time today, we're also going to be kicking off, as David mentioned, a a little mini-series here as we take a break from John for the holiday season. And this is our Advent series, the one we've been talking about, and it's called Advent with Friends. And joining us for this first week of our series is our really good friend Bubba Jennings from Resurrection Church in Tacoma. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Thank him for being here. And so as Pastor Bubba gets ready to come, why don't you guys go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, and Ashley's going to come as well and read for us from uh, our primary passage in 1 Peter today. This is God's word from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Thank you very much for that. Uh, You know, my name is Bubba. You may be wondering, like, is that your real name? Yes. Okay, let's just get that out there. I was born and raised in Oklahoma uh, about 16 and a half years ago. Let me say that, 16 and a half, it might sound like I said something different, but 16 and a half years ago, my wife and I got married. We went on our honeymoon, we literally grabbed all our stuff, threw it in a van, and we drove out to the Northwest. We've been here ever since, and so uh, we uh, uh, have a heart for you. You may not realize this, some of you know my wife, Shelly. Back when this congregation was meeting in Shoreline, she was one of the people that would come up and lead worship now and then, and uh, several people have asked, hey, where's Shelly? And she's actually leading worship at our church this week. And last night we were like, why did we schedule you to lead worship on the day that we were going to be, I'm going up there. So she misses you guys. She loves you. She wanted me to tell you hello. And uh, if you don't know this, um, Pastor Aaron is one of the, he's one of the, the people I enjoy most on this earth. Uh, he and I are, yeah, you guys, you, 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 would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, we give it for Pastor Aaron. We love Pastor Aaron. He and I are really good friends. We've known each other for a number of years. He was actually uh, with me down in Tacoma, and we raised him up as a pastor and sent him up here to all of you. And so you're welcome. Uh, our gift to you, uh, no, rally, God's gift to you. Uh, but we, uh, we as a group of pastors are, you know, stay connected in this area. There's actually about, you know, 10 of us. And every month we do a video call and we're kind of spread throughout the region, but we stay uh, in close relationships with each other. And so we, we think of your church as just part of our family. It's extended family. Uh, and uh, we, we, we at times visit your church and our staff and your staff connect and things like that. And uh, I remember uh, last time I was hanging out with your staff at their offices afterwards pastor Aaron was saying to me he's like did you see Michael Eller did you see Michael Eller and I'm like yeah I saw Michael Eller like why and he's he just kind of (laughs) laughed I'm like what are you laughing about it took me like a week or longer for me to figure out realize what had happened and this is what Michael Eller had done you guys can see that he tagged my car with the bumper, bumper sticker of your logo. And so what I like to do is I like to drive really fast around Tacoma and cut people off and get in front of them and slam on my brakes. And people are like, Rah! and I'm like, South City Bible Church. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't do that. I don't do that. Um, anyways, uh, you know, we, we are in this, this Advent series. And if you, don't, if you don't know, maybe you know this, but the word Advent means coming. 
And it, it means the, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, the anointed one. And what we do as, during this season of Advent is we remember that God came to earth. But we don't just remember that God came to earth and was born as a baby, placed in the manger in Bethlehem. We do remember that. But we also want to remember that he will one day come again. And so during Advent, we remember the past, that God made a promise that he would come and that he did come to earth. We also, though, remember that Jesus said, I'm going to return. And so we have this eager anticipation in, in hopes that one day Jesus will return. And so we have a, a hope fulfilled in the past. We have a hope we're waiting for in the future. And that puts us in a place of experiencing some hope today. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about, hope I'm gonna, we're going to talk a lot about what, what does God say about hope and what does that mean for your life. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for us, and then we're going to just dive into the Word together. And so, uh, Father God, we thank you for your grace and mercy and love. I thank you for these people, these brothers, these sisters. We thank you for, uh, for this church, Lord, for, for Sound City Bible Church. I love this church. I love this church. And I just pray that you would lead them, guide them, help them, bless them, build them up, edify them, mature them, uh, help them to grow in, in every way that you want, help them to prosper in every way that you want. Uh, Lord, uh, I, I thank you um, that, that, that people showed up early today to make, make this place ready to, to put the sound and lights and get it all ready so that we could gather together and celebrate you. And so, Lord, we, we want to spend time in your word. We want to hear from you today. We want to be transformed by, by you, Holy Spirit. So change us through, through the word of God as well. We want, to, uh, we, want to, we want to see our lives change so that we can go then and minister to others, that they would know you, Jesus. And so I'm praying uh, that, that, that there would be a movement of discipleship through this church to the north end. God, may you use us as a people to be a part of reaching our respective cities and neighborhoods. And we ask this all in Christ's good name. Amen. So, so let me ask you this. Um, have you ever had maybe a season of life where you, uh, you, you were asking yourself, you were saying, you know, um, I, I wish life was better. I, I wish life was different. Like, why is it, why is it got to be like this? Why is it got to be so hard? Have you ever, have you ever thought, man, I, I, I'm feeling pretty worthless. I'm feeling, I'm feeling as though my life is, it, it, it doesn't have much meaning. In those seasons when, when, we, when we're asking those kinds of questions, why can't it be like this? Why can't it be different? Why can't it be better? Why does it feel so broken? Oftentimes, we're struggling with hopelessness. And, 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 and I understand hopelessness. I've, I've experienced it um, at various times in my life. Early on in my teenage years, leading up to my early 20s, I experienced a lot of hopelessness, almost like a prolonged season of it. I didn't know God at that time in my life, and my life was, was pretty messed up. Um, I was a young man. I was angry. I was angry at the way things had turned out in my life. Uh, my parents had divorced, and our family was a mess. I was angry about that. One of my best friends died in a car wreck, and that just devastated me. Uh, my, my, my girlfriend and I had broken up. It all sounds like lyrics to a really bad country song. Uh, but it was, it was, that, was, that, was, that was life, right? It would be funny if it wasn't true. And in that time, uh, I, I, I was feeling so hopeless. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to go to, how to respond. And, uh, and I responded in ways that were not helpful. I started getting drunk, getting high. My life was a mess. I, I, I came to the end of myself 
And it was at that time when God showed up and my life was radically changed and I became a Christian. And God showed up right there in the, in the midst of hopelessness and did a work in me where he just snatched me up and brought me out of that and gave me new life. What happens when we experience hopelessness? I mean, think about if, if your life is hopeless, right? Without hope, what, what happens? Without hope, you, you, you feel as though there's really no point. And so without hope, you can start to just go through the motions, go on autopilot. You lose your passion for life. Without, without hope, you can, you can even start to just say, you know what? I, I don't enjoy living anymore. You can spiral into despair, depression. You can, you can even maybe want to just give it all up. I just wish I was, I wish I was dead. Right? With, without hope, life can be unbearable. There, there are few things that, that impact us and shape us as much as hope does. Few things that are as important as hope. We're going to talk a lot about why hope is important for us from a biblical point of view, but even in our culture, people know that hope is important. Scientists have done all kinds of research, all kinds of study, and what they've realized is that when people are hopeful, hopeful people are more productive, hopeful people, uh, they make better health choices, that hopeful people are happier, and they actually live longer. As, as well, scientists have shown that there is this... this um, this thing that happens when you experience hope, there's something that physiologically, bi- you know, in your biology, that happens within you. Your brain releases endorphins, and it kind of triggers this, this response through your nervous system, which, which en- enables you to recover from sickness and suffering better, faster. Quite simply put, um, hopeful people are happier and healthier. And so I think we would all agree, like, we need hope. We can agree on that. Uh, But what I want to put before you today is that you don't just need any kind of hope. You need a certain type of hope. You can survive without hope. But if you want to thrive, you need the hope of God. If you want to flourish in every way that God wants you to flourish, then you need a hope that is alive. You need a living hope. So how do we get this living hope? Well, let's look at 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, to see what God would say. We we read this earlier. We're going to read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, And unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So who gives you living hope? Look at verse 3. What does it say? It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gives you living hope? God the Father. God the Father. You, You have a heavenly Father. And the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our heavenly father. That you have a heavenly father who's a good dad, who loves you. And because he loves you, he wants to give you good gifts. Particularly, he wants to give you the gift of hope. Now, why would he do that? Look what he goes on to say next. He says, according to his great mercy. And so, because God is merciful... And, and not just, he doesn't just have a, a little 
bit of mercy. He has a lot of mercy. He's great mercy. Because God has great mercy, he gives hope, living hope. Now, now understand mercy. Mer- mercy is the idea that someone has the position and authority in, to, um, to punish you because you've done something wrong, but, but they don't punish you. They don't give you what you deserve. Rather, they give you grace. They give you what you don't deserve. And so, as sinners, we deserve death, damnation. That's what we deserve, but God is great in his mercy, and so he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness. He, he, he gives us compassion. He, he reconciles us. He gives us adoption into his family, a part in his kingdom. There are so many blessings of God that he gives, and he gives because he's merciful, and he's good, and he's loving. And so, The Father, because of his great mercy, he gives the gift of hope. But how? What what does he do in order for that to take place? I mean, think about just living hope. It's not something that you can buy. It's not something that you can create. You can't manufacture it. You can't just somehow work really hard and then you get it. It's a gift. It's something that, that you can't buy, create, or manufacture. You have to be given it. You have to receive it. It's a gift that you, you have to receive. And how does God give the gift? Look what it says next. It says here, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So how does he give this gift? Well, through this, this, this born again thing. He causes us to be born again. Now, you may be saying, like, that sounds really weird. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, glad you asked. Uh, that, that language of being born again, it goes directly to Jesus. You see in John chapter 3, Jesus spoke these words, born again. That, that, that phrase, that language, that idea comes right from Jesus. And there's a story in John chapter 3, maybe you're familiar with it, about a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an affluent man. He was a, a, a religious man. He knew about God and he goes to Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, I want to know about eternal life. How do I have eternal life? And Jesus says, Nicodemus, if you want eternal life, you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus was was an older man. He was probably a grandpa. And he's like looking at himself and he's looking at Jesus. He's like, how am I going to be born again? It's not like I'm going to go back into my mother's womb a second time. I read a story like that and I'm like, thanks for the visual, Nicodemus. Uh, But he has a good point, right? He has a good point. Like, how's that going to work? How's that going to turn out? And so Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not talking about physical birth. We're talking about spiritual birth. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. You have to be born spiritually. You see, when we are born into this world physically, we're born physically, but yet we're spiritually dead in sin. We're sinners by nature and choice. We're dead in sin. And because we're dead in sin, we are cut off from God. And the Bible says that there is no hope for those who do not have God. So we are born physically into this world, but we are hopeless. We have no hope because we're spiritually dead in sin. And God enters into that place of hopelessness and does this wonderful miracle, born again. He gives us new life. He he helps us so that we can go from death to life. He, He actually makes it possible for us to go from spiritual death to spiritual life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we go from being hopeless to hopeful because of what God has done in our lives, giving us new life in Jesus. 
And, and what takes place is in that moment when you are born again, you are made a new creation in Christ. New mind, new heart, new desires, new identity for a new life. You're a new person. Your life is changed radically. And yet it seems to me that though we are made a new person, sometimes we don't live as though we're a new person. It seems to me that there's this misconception in American Christianity regarding eternal life. And here's what it is. The misconception is this. A lot of Christians think eternal life is something that we get in the future. And it's only something that we get in the future. A lot of people think, you know, I'm going to live on, the, you know, on earth and then I'm going to die and I'm going to rise and receive a, a resurrected glorified body. And then I will receive eternal life. But when you examine the scriptures, what you see is that eternal life is not just something in the future. It is something in the future, but it's also something that we receive right now. I mean, think about that for a minute. If you're a believer, you will physically die, and you will physically rise to receive a resurrected, glorified body, and you will spend eternity with Jesus, eternal life. But if you are a new creation in Christ, you have eternal life now. It's not just in the future, you have it now. And yet sometimes we live as though, I'm going to live for a while, and then I'll get this new, you know, new glorified body, and then I get promoted to eternal life. No, no, no. Friends, you will never be more spiritually alive than you are right now in Christ Jesus. And when you realize that, you, when, that, when, that, when that truth goes deep into your heart, it makes you understand, it makes you realize that eternal life is not just in the future, it happens right now. Salvation is not just in the future, it's something that you have right now. Living hope is not just in the future, it's something you have right now. That your reality in Christ is new creation, saved, adopted, a part of the kingdom, your citizen, you have eternal life. You have living hope. Now, where does the, the power of this living hope come from? Look, look, look at what he says next. He says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible talks about how God the Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. So when we talk about resurrection or the power of the resurrection, it really is going back to God. God is the only one who has the power to raise the dead. Particularly God the Holy Spirit is who raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit gives us this new life, this born again reality. But what we see here is that we receive a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sometimes people ask, like, did the resurrection really happen? Yes. Right? The resurrection is not a myth. It's something that happened. It, it, it's a historical fact. Jesus was a real person who really lived, and he really went, he really went to the cross, and he really died. Fact. And then he was buried in the grave, and on the third day, he rose from the grave physically, in bodily form. He really rose fact. It's not just historic. It's historic reality. It's fact with eternal significant implications for right now. 
because Jesus rose from the grave, he is able to give new life. Understand this. The resurrection proves Jesus is God. The resurrection displays the power of God. God defeating his enemies, our greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And the resurrection shows us just how wonderful, beautiful, magnificent, powerful our God is. That our God can give new life. That's what resurrection is about. And what, and what we don't oftentimes think about is that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God is establishing the pattern for Christian life. Right? The, the, the Christian life is one in which we experience death and resurrection. Let, let, me, let me explain what I mean. Through faith in Jesus, you are unified to God. You are united with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. And the scripture talks about how we are united with Jesus in his death. That our old person, that old self, is crucified at the cross of Christ. So the old life, the old self, the old reality is put to death at the cross. And then we also are united with Jesus through his resurrection. As as he rose from the grave, we in Christ rise to new life. We rise to this living hope. And what's so interesting is that throughout the Christian life, we experience lots of little deaths and lots of little resurrections. Have you ever had a season where there's hardship, suffering, pain? That's a kind of death. What happens after death? Resurrection. And what takes place is we experience this this kind of death, and in those moments... When we're experiencing a kind of death, we, we're hurting. And in those moments as we hurt, we, we start to become hopeless. And in those moments when we're hopeless, we, we start to, well, sometimes we start to doubt that God can help us. We, we even doubt, what, what, what is God up to? Why should I turn down? You may be even hearing this and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I live in the real world. And what you're talking about it sounds like a bunch of Christian talk and I don't understand it and whatever. I live in the real world. I need real hope. Right? We all live in the real world. I get that. I understand. You got real pain, real suffering, real challenges, real struggles. I understand that. I experience that as well. And what I would put before you is that we, we ought not discount the, the, the living hope of God given through Jesus Christ. We, we, we can't say, that's some spiritual thing. It's not real. No, no, no. It's real. It's real. And what happens is if we discount or we doubt the, the, the living hope of God, we will, we, will, we will trade in the living hope of God for some other hope. We will turn away from the living hope of God and embrace worldly hope. That's what happens. And it happens so subtly. So subtly. Life is going on and you experience a a kind of death. Pain, suffering, struggle. And in that moment, that's when you're tempted. That's when you're tempted. In your hopelessness, you're tempted to turn away from the living hope of Jesus. And it happens so subtly. You know, you're like, hey, I was doing great. I was on my diet. And then all of a sudden, I gained all that weight back. That could be hopeless. Or you're like, I got a great job. Things are going well. 
and then you get laid off. You're like, this feels hopeless. Or maybe you got a great relationship and all of a sudden your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you. Or, or your, your spouse goes to you and says, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing well. I'm not happy in this marriage. Like, I don't know if I want to continue. It feels hopeless. Things are going well with your kids and all of a sudden you hit one of those seasons where it's like you cannot get along at all. Relational turmoil feels hopeless. Or you get that, that phone call. Yeah, it's cancer. Feels hopeless. And it's in those moments, friends, when, when, when you are experiencing some hopelessness in those moments, when you will be tempted to turn to some kind of worldly hope. And it can happen in, in, in such a way to where sometimes we don't even realize we're doing that. You know, if I could just get back on my diet, things would be better. Well, if I could just, you know, get a promotion or get a new job, things would be better. Well, if, if, if I could just figure out how to make up and we could mend this relationship, things would be better. Or if, if we could just find the right doctor or the right treatment, things would be better. In those moments, what are we doing? We're, we're putting our hope in something that's worldly. That's what we're doing. Now, now understand, wanting, desiring, longing for health, for healthy relationships, for financial stability. That is not bad. Right? right? God wants good for you. So there's nothing wrong with wanting those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a difference between wanting them and putting your hope in them. And what can happen is if we put our hope in those worldly things, we're not hoping in Jesus in that moment. We've settled for a lesser hope. And, and in doing so, what we oftentimes don't realize is that our hope has become circumstantial. This is what I mean. When you put your hope in something worldly, your hope is that somehow the circumstances of your life will change based on what's happening around you. That's circumstantial. But what happens when that hope fails you? What happens when things don't turn out the way you hoped they were going to? Oftentimes in those moments, then we just kind of spiral down into hopelessness. Right? We can, we'll just spiral into hopelessness. And I believe that there is a, a, a cycle of hopelessness. As I've thought about this, as, as I've experienced this, I think that hopelessness, this cycle of it, is really kind of three parts. There's doubt, there is fear, and there is resignation. Right? We doubt I'm uncertain about the future. I don't know what's going to happen. And then that doubt causes fear. Oh, man, that, that could go really bad. If that happens, that'll be terrible. If that happens, that'll be terrible. Oh, man. And then there's doubt and fear, doubt and fear, doubt and fear. And then we, 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 we just kind of live in this place of doubt and fear. And then we start to resign ourselves to it. I guess it'll never be different. I guess I can't change. I guess this is what my life's going to be like. Right? Doubt. Fear, resignation, doubt, fear, resignation. That is what bondage feels like. The cycle of hopelessness. And what's so sad is that we can live in a cycle of hopelessness for years, for years, without ever even realizing it, without actually facing the real problem. And the reason we can live in a cycle of hopelessness for years is because of the ways in which we deal with hopelessness. 
the ways that we try to cope with hopelessness. And what I would submit to you is that there are some ways in which we as a people, a culture, a society, Americans, try to deal with hopelessness that are, that are, very, that are very damaging and destructive. I would call these the, 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 the wrong ways to, to cope with hopelessness. And I want to share four of them with you because I think just having an awareness of these things will help you. Awareness of these things will, will, will give you perception and or perspective and insight. And so the first of this, the first way in which we wrongly cope with hopelessness is escapism. Escapism. I mean, escapism is when you, uh, you don't face hopelessness, but rather you try to escape by turning to, it could be entertainment or fantasy. And I mean, and think about it, in our day and age, there are, you know, a million ways to do this. Right, everybody's got in their, in their pocket a phone with instant access to any kind of world you want to tap into. And what do we do? We, 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 just, we just lose ourselves in these things. And, and, and in, those, in those moments, uh, what, are we, what are we doing? We're, we're trying to somehow find some, some relief. This could be, um, you know, uh, like you're, you're sitting at the dinner table, but instead of actually engaging with the people you're around, you're just like on your phone. You're checked out. This could be binge-watching, you know, your favorite show on Netflix. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with binge-watching Netflix, but, but if it becomes the way in which you have to cope with your life because you can't deal, you're like, I can't deal with life right now, then what you've done is you've taken Netflix and made it a god, a functional savior of sorts. Or this could be looking at pornography. This could be daydreaming about a vacation. Whoa, if that, once that vacation happens, things will be wonderful. This could be a hobby you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to go and get lost in golf, right? Are any golf people? You're like, no, we hate golf. Okay, whatever. It, right? Any hunters? Hunters? You're like, I thought this was like Lynn Tucky, right? No? Okay. You have to understand when I say Lynn Tucky, I'm from Oklahoma, so I say that with love and affection. Um, anyhow, whatever your thing is, you could get lost in it. So there are ways in which we, we, we cope with hopelessness. Um, here, here's another way that we, that we wrongly cope with hopelessness. Number two would be uh, self-medication. So self-medication is where, where we try to uh, um, find some relief by using or abusing. It could be substances or things or people. It could be any combination of those things. It, it, it could be getting drunk. It could be getting high. It could be overeating. Uh, it could be working out all the time so that you can get that, that workout high. But, but what's happening in that moment is that you're trying to find relief by somehow creating this, you know, this, this way to medicate yourself. Instead of, instead of going to Jesus, you're like, I need that. And if I have that, that will somehow make me feel better. How else do we wrongly cope with, cope with hopelessness? Uh, the third way is wearing a mask. Uh, wearing a mask. This is where you pretend like everything is okay when it's not. You, you, you put on a, a persona, a mask, if you will. You ever had one of those conversations where someone's like, hey, how's it going? You're like, man, life's good, going great. I'm doing well, thanks for asking. You know, God's good. Yeah, it's all good. And inside you're going, life is terrible. I hate my life right now. I feel terrible. But you don't actually feel like you can actually say that to someone. And so what do you do? You, you put on a mask. You kind of pretend for a moment. Right? We, we, we all do this at times. 
What, what can happen is you can be surrounded by community, but if you wear a mask as a way to cope with your hopelessness, nobody actually really knows you because you've never let anyone actually know you. They don't really know what's going on with you. How else do we wrongly cope with hopelessness? The, the fourth way is uh, suicide. You know, we don't, we don't talk about this in our culture much. Sometimes a person gets to the place where life feels so, so lost, so empty, so hopeless that they just think, I just need to end it. And, and, and suicide is, is, it's demonic, it's tragic, it's, 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 it's something that when it, when it happens, it causes just a, just a, a, a pathway of, of pain and hurt in, 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 in for all the people left behind. It's just horrible. It's horrible. But I know, I know some of, some of us at times have thought about it. The reason I bring these up, friends, is because I want you to know that when you experience hopelessness, you're going to be tempted to either turn to worldly hopes or you're going to be tempted to try to cope with your hopelessness in a way that is very bad for you. And these are common ways in which we do it. I mean, think about these ways. What are you, what are you most uh, tempted towards? Where do you most gravitate towards? When life is feeling hopeless, do, are you, one of the, are you uh, someone who likes to escape? When life is feeling hopeless, do you like to self-medicate? When life is feeling hopeless, do you just pretend like everything's okay? Or when life is feeling hopeless, do you just think, I don't know if I want to continue? These wrong ways of dealing with hopelessness, they are not, they're not helpful, they're hurtful, they're destructive, they will damage us. And what can happen is, is we think, if I have this or do this, that's going to resolve the problem. The problem is, I feel hopeless, and if I have that, then, then I'll feel better. But it does not work, it does not help, it cannot solve the problem. It doesn't resolve the tension. What I want to invite you to is understanding that if you want to resolve the tension of hopelessness, you have to realize that hopelessness is a faith issue. Let me kind of show you what I'm talking about. Um, Hebrews 11.1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What we see in this verse is something that's very interesting. There's this interconnectedness between faith and hope. That faith is assurance of things hoped for. And I think sometimes we don't realize that whatever we put our faith in, that's what we're going to put our hope in. That's going to be our hope. So whatever you believe in, whatever your faith is in, that's going to end up being your hope. And whatever you hope in, that's what you're going to put your faith in. It goes both ways. Which, which means that what we believe in, where, where or whom we put our faith in, is incredibly important. Because if we put our faith in something uh, that is the wrong thing, the, the, the wrong person, then what happens? We put our hope in something that's, that, that is wrong, the wrong person, the wrong thing. And so we, we need to make sure that our hope is in Jesus and not in something or someone else. Or what happens when you have living hope? 
Like when you, when you actually experience what Peter is talking about in these verses. Look at, look at verse 4. I want you to see what he says here. In verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he's saying, look, you've been born again to a living hope. You've also been born again to an inheritance. That, That when you became a new creation in Christ, you not only received new life, but you were adopted into God's family. You were given a part in God's kingdom, which means all the promises, all the blessings, all the benefits of Jesus are yours. And he, he sums all that up in this word, inheritance. The benefits, the blessings of, of Jesus. Notice how he describes this inheritance. It's, it's imperishable, meaning that it cannot deteriorate. It can't be destroyed. He says it's undefiled. It it can't be polluted by sin. It's not going to somehow be corrupted. It's unfading. It's not going to fade away in time. It's not going to lose its value or its beauty or its potency. He says it's kept in heaven for you, meaning that God himself is keeping it safe and secure. See, when we understand the value of, of this inheritance in Christ, which includes living hope, we realize that it is so much more valuable than all the the hopes of the world. That's what happens. And we need to realize that there's a, a significant difference between worldly hope and living hope. Worldly hope is hope in things seen, whereas living hope is hope in things that are unseen. Worldly hope is in things like feelings or people or circumstances. And we all know that feelings, people, and circumstances change and fail us. Your feelings change. You can, you can even deceive yourself with your feelings. People change. People will fail you. Circumstances change. Circumstances can turn against you. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He's always steadfast. He's always faithful. He's always true, which means he's always reliable. And if you just take this idea of inheritance, you realize that worldly hope is is perishable. It can be defiled. It fades away. It's here on earth. Whereas this living hope, this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven. When you compare the two, I think we all can look at this and go, wow, how wonderful is God to give us such good things? What the Bible talks about, which is so incredibly encouraging to me, is that hope in Jesus is like an anchor for your soul. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says this, that hope in Jesus is an anchor for the soul. So think about that. You know what an anchor is. You've seen an anchor. What do do anchors do? You drop the anchor, and then the boat is attached to the anchor, and the anchor's down on the ground. The the, the anchor keeps the boat grounded. So when the waves and the storms happen and the boat's moving around, the boat doesn't get flipped over. It doesn't get tossed out to sea or carried away. It it keeps it safe. It keeps it secure. And what the Scripture is saying is that hope in Jesus is like that 
for your soul. When the storms of life come upon you, when these waves of hopelessness crash down on you, that hope in Jesus will keep you grounded. It will keep you from drifting. It will keep you from tipping over, from, from being cast out to sea. That hope in Jesus will keep you firm on the foundation of Christ. And what, what I want you to understand is that that means that no matter what happens in your life, you will always have hope in Jesus. You see, the good news of the gospel is that our God is a God of hope. A God who brings hope in the midst of hopelessness. That God took on flesh and left heaven and came to earth to live among us. That God added humanity to his divinity, was born in human history, that he lived among us. He was born as a baby, grew up to a boy, then a man. Right? The God-man, Jesus Christ, who lived on earth as one of us. He lived and experienced life just like we do. And he was like us in every single way, except for one. He never sinned. And so he experienced temptation. He experienced suffering. He experienced those moments of hopelessness when you're tempted to turn to worldly hope and cope with it in a way that's unhealthy. He experienced all that. But he was always faithful. He always hoped in the Father. He always hoped in God. And because he always hoped in God, he's able to break through the hopelessness and bring us a living hope. How does he do that? Through his life, death, and resurrection. He lived this sinless life on our behalf, then he goes to the cross and dies in our place for our sin. The cross is so incredibly important that he dies for us, taking the wrath we deserve upon himself so that we get mercy. He also takes our sin upon himself and gives us his righteousness. Through the cross, he makes it possible for us to be forgiven, reconciled to the Father, brought into the family of God. And then, and yeah, I don't know, did someone yell? I thought that was, a, I heard a yelp. We like yelping, yeah. Lintucky. Uh, anyways, I'm gonna, that's going to catch on, okay? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. So anyways, let's go back to the gospel, right? So think of this. Jesus is on the cross. He's on the cross. And, and in that moment, he's experiencing some hopelessness. I mean, think about this. When you look at the scriptures, he's on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hopeless. In that moment, the, the, the sins of the world crushing him. He's taking it all upon himself. He's feeling alone. He's feeling, he's feeling hopeless. But, but was he hopeless? No. Did he lose his hope? No. Because right after that, he spoke these words. Father, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. So in that moment, what is he doing? He's feeling like, like life is hopeless, but he knows, he knows that his hope is in the Father. And he trusts in the Father. He has hope in the Father, even in death. I mean, you don't get more hopeless than that. Even in the, the process of dying, he had hope in the Father. And then he died. And he was put in the tomb. And think about what that was like for his disciples the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, he's in the tomb. Where's our hope? What are we going to do? They were experiencing a death, some hopelessness. And then on the third day, God does what, what no one could ever dare imagine, the, un, the unthinkable. He, 
He rose. He broke through that, 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 that hopelessness of death. He rose victorious, glorious, conquering Satan, sin, and death. He rose showing his majesty, his beauty, his power. He brought hope out of the grave. I mean, think about this. You can't get more hopeless than death. You can't get more hopeful than resurrection. And when you're, when you're in that place of hopelessness, experiencing a kind of death, who do you see at the, at the bottom of the pit of hopelessness? The risen, glorified Jesus. That's who. That's who you see. And now he's ascended into heaven. He's sitting on the throne of God, reigning and ruling over all things as Lord God Almighty. And he makes this promise. I will be with you always, no matter what. And though he is physically not present with us, he's with us through the power and presence of God the Holy Spirit, which means we have hope, we will always have hope, and we cannot lose it. No matter what happens, there is hope in Jesus. Because Jesus lived without sin, we look at his life and we see an example of what a hopeful life looks like. And because Jesus went to the cross and died in our place for our sin, we can be forgiven for every single time we've put our hope in something worldly or every time we've tried to cope with hopelessness in a way that's unhealthy. And because Jesus rose from the grave, we know that we can rise in faith to a living hope. You see, friends, when, when, when you realize that you have a living hope in Jesus and that's your reality right now, you stop wanting to try to change your circumstances and you say, God, change me in the midst of these circumstances. Help me to live this hope. Right? Help me to live this hope. I mean, how, how do you apply this message? You apply this message by walking in the hope you have in Jesus. You, you realize that the pattern for your life as a believer is death and resurrection. That when you're living a kind of death and you're feeling hopeless, in that moment is when you need to remember, resurrected Lord Jesus, there's hope for me. And then you walk in that hope. Now, I know that some of you right now, you might be going, yeah, 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 but, 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 but Pastor, I, I feel hopeless. And you know what? I, you know, I, have, I, I understand that. I, I feel for you. I feel hopeless. What we need to, re to realize, though, is this. If you feel hopeless, that, that does not mean you are hopeless. It simply means you feel hopeless. Because feelings do not determine reality. Who determines reality? God does. So God determines reality. And God has said, through the resurrection of Christ, there is a living hope for you. That's reality. And so even if you feel hopeless, you're not hopeless in Christ. And when you embrace that truth, when you realize that, it changes the way you live your life. I mean, we are in the Advent season. And it is a time when we are called to, to experience this hope of Jesus. But what often happens? We feel hopeless. I, I think that around the holiday times, uh, pain and suffering get amplified. If you're lonely, you feel really lonely around that time. If you've experienced a kind of loss, you really feel it during that time. 
And so I know that some of you, you're hopeful. Some of you, though, you're, you're, you're struggling with hopelessness. Some are, are, are going, you know what, I don't even know how we're going to pay our rent, and we got to get some presents for the kids. Like, it feels hopeless. Some, some, some are going, you know, like right now, because of the dynamics in our family and how we've been having these, these fights throughout our extended family, like getting everyone together for a meal or something like that at Christmas time, like, that sounds, that feels hopeless. Right? So some of you, maybe you're saying, you know, this will be the first Christmas without someone. That, 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 that's going to feel very hopeless. And it's, it's, it's in this Advent season when our hopelessness gets amplified and the, the, the pain can feel overwhelming, which means we need to remember the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the living hope that we have in God. And this is what Christians have done for centuries and centuries and centuries. In fact, this is what the people of God do. The people of God walk in the hope of God. Even before the Messiah arrived on earth, the people of God walked in the hope of God. Think about Abraham. Abraham and Sarah can't have children, infertile, and yet the Bible says that they had hope beyond all hope. They hoped that God would somehow do something. Or Moses, he's told to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. Moses hoped that God would actually he would actually do what he said he was going to do. Or, or even David, before he becomes king, he's being hunted down by Saul, and they're going to kill him. And he's somehow hoping, God will save me. Or think about the early church. You've got Christians who've seen the resurrected Lord Jesus, and they experience this radical change, and no longer are they afraid of death. They're living boldly, proclaiming the gospel, contending for the gospel. And all of a sudden, there's all this persecution against them. They're being mocked. They're being beaten. They're being murdered for their faith. And they don't give up. They don't relent. They endure. They persevere. Why? Their hope is not circumstantial. Their hope is grounded, rooted, founded in the reality of Jesus. When, when we live this, this hope, we are living a resurrection life. And I've seen people over the years live a kind of resurrection life. And when it happens, it is beautiful and it is glorious. I know someone who was addicted to heroin. And um, sobri- sobriety wasn't even a hope. I mean, it was like this, this guy had OD'd so many times, it was like he didn't even think he would be alive very much longer. And Jesus got a hold of his life and radically changed. He he was freed from drug addiction. And his hope was not in sobriety. His hope was in Jesus. I I know a couple that their marriage was so broken that they, uh, they both had affairs on each other and got divorced. I mean, it was like... The idea of any kind of reconciliation, that's hopeless, never going to happen. And yet over time, God softened both their hearts. They both repented, and they reconciled, and then there was restoration. They got remarried. Resurrection. God takes a dead, mar- dead marriage, and he, 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 he resurrects it. I, I, know, I know a gal who, as a teenager, was forced into sex trade industry. She was forced to be a prostitute. Her, her parents didn't know this. Her church friends didn't know this. Her pastors didn't know this. And she lived that way for years in pain and suffering until Jesus freed her. Resurrection. I I know people who are walking through the loss of a loved one. 
I mean, this, this week, just a few days ago, I was in the living room of one of the members of our church, and uh, it's a husband and wife, and their kids are all around, and she's laying on the bed in the living room in the process of dying from cancer. And as she's laying there, we're all together, and we're reading scripture, and we're praying, and there's hope. Not that, she's gonna, that mom's going to get better. There's hope in Christ. And then within the next day, I received the message that she had passed. No matter what happens in this life, when you have Jesus, you always, always, always have hope. That's the heart of the matter, friends. With Jesus, there is always hope. If you remember nothing else from our time together, remember that. With Jesus, there is always, 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 always hope. And in those moments of hopelessness, you will be tempted, you will be tempted to turn to worldly hopes. Don't do it. They won't satisfy you. They won't, they might, they might, they might help you for a little while, but long term, they won't provide the kind of hope you really need. You'll also be tempted to cope with hope, hopelessness in, a, in an unhealthy, destructive way. All it'll do is hurt you. And so I want you to, to be freed from worldly hopes, freed from having to cope with hope in some unhealthy way, to, freed to just be able to say, you know what, Jesus, you're my hope. And so I will walk in the truth of you and your resurrection. I will live a resurrection life. That's what you're invited to, friends. I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you for this word, and we thank you that you step right into the the, the, the most broken places of our lives, that you bring hope when, it, when, when we feel hopeless. You bring hope when it seems like all hope is gone or lost. That, that through the, the person and the, the work, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we are able to receive uh, not just a faith, but a faith that, 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 that brings us into a new reality. That we are a new creation. That we are adopted. That we have a part in your kingdom. That we uh, have this, this living hope in which to, to walk in, and we have an inheritance, God. And so all of this is possible because, God, you are faithful, you are good, you are true, you are wonderful. I just pray and ask, help us to be a people who not only believe in you, but a people who love you and, and enjoy you and fellowship with you. And we walk day by day, moment by moment, in the truth and reality of Jesus. God, we want to live the hope of Jesus. And we want to do that in a way to where we help other people also know the hope of Jesus. And so, God, we're praying, fulfill all of your promises in Christ in our lives. And we're trusting you to do that. And we have hope that you will do all that you have said. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. Sound City, can we thank Pastor Bubba for leading us this morning? Appreciate you, brother. Well, uh, let's reflect. Let's spend a time reflecting on the truth that we've just heard from God's word. We'll turn to a time of responding and reflecting in a number of different ways, and we'll do that first through giving. And so if our financial stewards would come, uh, we'll go ahead and start our response through giving. Now, if you are new or if you are a guest with us, it'd be good for you to know and understand that uh, we view this time of giving as, as a part of our worship experience. Uh, there's every bit as much worship uh, in giving as there is for any other part of our service. But if you're a guest or if you're new, please know you're under absolutely no obligation to give. Uh, we're just 
glad you're here with us this morning. But for the rest of us who will be giving, just a reminder that God wants us to give joyfully, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 being our guide in this, uh, which says each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so as we give, uh, let's do so with that biblical principle in mind. And if you've got questions about how to give, there's a number of different ways you can do that. Uh, there's some information on the screen that will help guide you to how to text to give or how to get to our website. There's also information at the bottom of your weekly that you were handed when you came through the door this morning, or you can talk to the folks at the Connect Desk as well, and they'd be glad to help you find the best way for you to give. Now, as the communion element baskets are going to be passed here in just a minute, uh, let me also offer up a couple uh, discussion questions and prayer points from Bubba's message for us to consider this week in community groups, and in our personal study. Now, these are printed in your weekly as well uh, for your reference, but I'll read them for us now as well. Uh, Number one, where in your life have you, whether past or present, struggled with hopelessness? And share your answers with your group or an accountability partner. Uh, Number two, consider and discuss how the biblical promise of hope through Christ speaks to our feelings of hopelessness today. Number three, who is God asking you to share the hope of Jesus with during this Advent and Christmas season? And then share your responses with other believers and ask them to help hold you accountable to actually sharing Jesus and speaking about Jesus to those that God's placed on your heart this season. Now, we're also committed to being a praying people. And so a couple prayer points just to get you started this week. Uh, number one, we can be praying that God would embed a firm hope of Jesus in Jesus deep down in our hearts and that we would each live out that hope in Christ in all of life. Number two, let's be praying that God would soften the hearts of those with whom he would have us share the good news of Jesus coming in this Christmas season. I'll invite the band to go ahead and come whenever they're ready as well. Uh, We'll also respond this morning through the Lord's Supper, which is uh, the Bible speaks of as a memorial meal for Christians. The bread and the juice reminding us of Jesus' body and blood and of the sacrifice he made for you and for me so that we might have hope the kind of hope we've been talking about this morning, for eternal life through him uh, starting today. And the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures uh, reminds us of Jesus' instruction concerning the communion meal in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul saying, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 